，尽管离家让我心碎，我想告诉你，如果有来生，我还是会选择和你一起包岁，开始一点。Hey everybody! Welcome back. How you doing, Cor? I'm doing good, Jesse. It's been a long time. I know it has been a long time. Sometimes we have、time. these little stretches where we just can't seem to find a a quiet space of an hour and a half to talk about our favorite things. <laughs> life gets in the way sometimes. Life gets in the way.、Be、I it, hate life. <laughs> well, we'll be discussing that in great detail later <laughs> on. But yes, yeah, life has been contentious lately,、uh, or contentious.、Uh, yeah, you've had multiple. Reconstructive surgery since the last time we've recorded. <laughs> That is true. I think the last time we recorded,、uh-huh. I was preparing for my fully reconstructed face. That's correct. So this is the first episode we've we've recorded with your new nose. Is that correct? Yeah.、Hey. Do I sound different? Do, like, is it?、Uh, am I a whole new podcaster at this point? I don't well, even I don't know who I am、so. anymore. Well, no, you might not know who you are. I think you're the same old Jesse, but I think that was the point of the surgery, was it not?、Mm, the point of the surgery、yes. was to get back to pre-crash levels of Jesse Lindgren. You're right,、correct? to keep her、go. the same as she was, and here、uh-huh. she is. No, nose is looking great, and you know what? Nose、yeah. is also like. Feeling great, like I feeling have、good. so much airway up there that I've never had in my whole life. Like for example, when、uh-huh. I take a COVID test, you know、uh-huh. when you have to take your stick your swab up there and、sure. swirl it around. So when I watch my husband swirl his around, he's like really he's got a big、mm-hmm. swirl radius going on. I never had that. <laughs> I had like a tiny little back and forth that I was able to do with that. Uh huh. But now, now I can do the full swirl up there. <laughs> I have never had so much airway in my whole life. It's incredible. So you know, in some ways, thanks accident. But in other ways, I'm like bummer that you know part of my rib is now in my nose. Like that's pretty fucking weird. <laughs> Um, and I think she's still getting used to that new piece of hardware up there, but you know we're we're figuring it out together. She she has plenty of time. She has the rest of your life to get used to that.、Totally. So can can we break that down real quick? Well, okay, so <laughs> okay, I I've been fortunate enough never to have required reconstructive surgery. None of、yeah. the injuries I've sustained have been bone breaking or um like they've never impaired any kind of passageway in my body. Which is、sure. quite nice, because、um, I'm a baby and I avoid danger. Unlike Jesse, who's a, a total daredevil. <clears throat> But every time I've spoken to a friend who's had some sort of invasive surgery to rebuild a part of themselves,、uh-huh. their ribs have been involved in some way. Oh, that's、uh, weird. Anytime there, we need to borrow marrow for something. We need to borrow、uh, cartilage. We need to borrow some actual bone material. Yeah, well, the ribs are important. No. The ribs yeah, like, serve pretty important a, a vital purpose in protecting our major organs and and protecting the like structural integrity of our skeleton, right? So why、right. are docs so rib crazy? Why are they stealing our ribs, bud? You know that's such a good question. So this、Thank、is sort、you. of a unique situation because they didn't quite know how broken the nose was, and they and they were like, because I had here's a funny thing, I had a deviated septum surgery in 2016. 
And I, I didn't get those big airways that I have now. So I don't no. know what the fuck they did during that surgery. Probably not nothing. enough. Sounds like. Um, yeah. And so they were really worried that because I had had that, there wouldn't be enough cartilage up there to, because I think normally they take from the cartilage that's inside of the nose to reconstruct sure. it. Yeah, but we got because, some extra stuff up there. There's some, yeah. there's some uh, extra uh, uh, flame retardant material up there we can <laughs> repurpose somewhere else. Yeah. Right. So then they got in there, which by the way is so bizarre. They literally cut your septum in half and then they fold your entire nose like upwards i'm pretty sure is what happened did you get any pictures of that oh god no um (laughs) but i didn't realize that they were gonna do that it's pretty insane but anyways um so they uh they got in there and i guess apparently according to the doctor he was like yeah girl that was way more broken than uh than you thought uh like not only was the like bridge of your nose entirely you know just not there anymore but your septum was completely disconnected from the bone and i was like oh crap well cool so as a result they did have to take part of my rib and honestly as far as pain goes yeah that was like that that hurt the most it was like hard to sit up and sure. like move around and whatever and like sneezing fucking sucked because not only was my nose blocked but like my rib was torn apart oh. so that that was terrible but Here's what I can tell you. I have no pain from it anymore. You cannot see the scar at all. Um, thanks for being a woman. That helps out a lot. Um, and Girl, then you had. Do you want to share with the the listeners like the links to which you went to protect your your former look? Uh, you had multiple conversations where you effectively oh, held right. a doctor at gunpoint and forced <laughs> yes. them to promise you that your nose would look exactly unaffected. After I did. Answer. I did yeah. tell them if if my nose looks different, I will sue. <laughs> <laughs> in no uncertain terms uh i i understand how important a feature this is to the topography of jesse lynn Grossman's face and you will maintain this or else <laughs> exactly uh-huh. and then um my friend made a funny joke she was like you know jesse i think you're the only person i know who has had plastic surgery and can effectively say they changed nothing uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. i was uh-huh. like yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so anyways very successful surgery feel very grateful to have that physical part behind me and um feeling great i get to do nose rinses every morning which That's if you right. don't do that already by the way you should probably just start doing a neti pot every morning because it feels fucking awesome <laughs> <laughs> how how much has your neti pot usage jumped up since the incident significant significant, um, okay. significant use of the neti pot because you know like at first my airway was super blocked so i had to like you know force stuff out of there and now it's just so clear i can just like freely let the water flow and whatever comes out comes out so it's great. I love it. What's the coolest thing you found in there? Oh, boogers for boogers, sure. Boogers, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Mm-hmm. Love those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super boogers. No, no mushrooms, but definitely boogers. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, okay. Like, let's leave it at that. Let's never yep. share the mushroom story. No, that's um, that's, I'm a little ashamed I revealed it, but yeah, I'm surprised you did. <laughs> uh, yep. Um, they were not. Um, they were not drugs. Just, I just want to say that. <laughs> no, 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 no. No drugs was- involved. Okay. It's just mushrooms uh, from there. Um, Jesse, the, the more you, the more you stay on this topic, the the li- more likely we, we are to on. have to share the story. Let's go. <laughs> um. Well, anyways, uh, I saw a lot of movies this week, Corey. Did Hell you see yeah. a lot of movies this week? No. Well, I'm still in TV town, my friend. I'm oh, I'm a wash in, in television, right? But mm-hmm. catch me up. What have you watched this week? 
Well, I saw a movie that we're going to talk about together on Monday. Uh, We saw Everything Everywhere all at once, and we are pumped to talk about that today. And then um, I saw Downton Abbey on Thursday evening, which, oh no, Wednesday? No, Thursday. Thursday evening, which um, I was so excited for because Downton Abbey is my jam, and I was ready to see uh, the next chapter with a new era, and it Uh was exactly what you'd expect it to be and it was perfect tied everything up in a nice little bow Uh, and i really loved it you had not loved the prior filmic version of downton abbey is that correct that no i didn't love it um i did not love it at all um because the thing about downton abbey is it's such a slow burn they have all these little plot lines that they can develop over the whole season and you get some time with every single set of characters you know over this set of like 10 episodes but in the movie they try and do all of those plot lines in a short amount of time so you don't get to spend a lot of time with everybody and that's kind of a bummer uh which is part of why i loved the show um and similarly i think in this movie they didn't quite get to do that but um I appreciated their storyline a lot more than I did the first movie. Did they reduce the number of characters overall in this most recent one to make space for that? No. (laughs) They did not. In fact, they added more characters. Okay. So this was Um, just better written and better plotted than the previous one. It was better. Great. Yeah. Yeah, If you make a better movie, people tend to like those more. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so what are you watching on TV? Oh, God, everything. Um, I mean, Hacks is back. Oh, uh, Hacks. Made, I love Made Hacks. for Love had a second season. Uh, but then there's like all the prestige stuff that is either that has started this year or is in the process of coming back. I finally watched For All Mankind, oh, which is every bit as good as, as people had hyped it up to be. That's just yeah, an that extremely enjoyable hyped. show. Um, that, but then there was all the... God damn, I can't I can't even remember, Jesse. I've watched so much television <laughs> that it's just completely flooded me. And this is after the big drought that we experienced in the yeah. post-COVID production stall, where we had basically nothing to do TV-wise. And then everything came back all at once. Um, I think eventually we'll want to like dedicate some time to television in 2022 officially. But mm-hmm. I've watched a bunch of stuff that I cannot recall right now. Because um, <laughs> I'm, I'm too focused on the matter at hand, Jesse. Right. There is a lot of matters at hand. Oh, boy, are there ever. (laughs) So may we remind you that we had a competition with the Oscars. And the winner of said competition was going Mm -hmm. to be able to assign the other person something to watch. Mm. So you won. I did. What did you make me watch? Uh, I won just barely. It should be said that Jesse had a uh, well. We both had sh- complete shit showings uh, <laughs> with our Oscar ballots. We did uh, terribly. Each of us. We were completely ruined um, by certain yes, events we at the Oscars. Um, in 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 what will be the one of the strangest Oscar ceremonies of all time. But um, I won by one vote, and I selected Dune. <laughs> You made me watch the thing I made that you won watch the it. most Oscars. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Which which one could argue is an appropriate thing to do for a TV and uh, movie podcast, uh, uh, which honors the Oscars every year. I think it makes perfect sense to dive into the winningest movie from this year's <laughs> ceremony. Uh, but this was a movie that I knew that you would never watch unless compelled to do so. 
<laughs> Unless forced to do so by losing a bet. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. So I wanted to leverage my uh, my one windfall because I don't usually win the Oscars. I don't think. I think we're usually pretty neck and neck on that. I, I knew think, I had. Well, let's see. I think I won one. I think you won one, and this was our tiebreaker. So I think you have. You now have the lead. Okay, I take it back. I'm really good at guessing Oscar stuff. Um, if if alone in a room with Jesse Lynn, I'm very good at guessing Oscar winners. Uh, but on the on the, the the grand whole, not 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 a talent that I have or am very proud of. Um, sure. But yeah, we're we're gonna spend the first little bit of the episode discussing Dune. We'd intended for this episode that we're we're making right now to come out way earlier, uh, and it would have been far more relevant to have a Dune episode <laughs> shortly following the Oscar ceremony. Uh, but like we. As as we established, uh, life gets in the way. Uh, life gets in the way. Uh-huh. Je- Jesse's uh, entire head was broken and needed to get fixed. <laughs> and also, I just didn't really feel like it for a while. So here we are. So, uh, But we're happy to talk about Dune with y'all right now. So are you ready for my hot started. take? Uh, yes, absolutely, Jesse. Go for it. I liked it. Hey. <laughs> Oh, I've been I've been on Tinder hooks, Jesse. I've been <laughs> so I I don't like showing Jesse stuff she doesn't like. Um, I don't like doing that to my friend. Um, uh, I don't think it makes for as good a conversation afterwards if Jesse yeah. doesn't like something. Uh, and I don't like having to kind of pull teeth to express why I love something when clearly my my best friend does not. But Jesse, what what? Tell me more about that. What was your experience like watching Dune? What train were you on while you watched Dune? <laughs> I don't know how this has become my thing, but I somehow now watch all of my TV and movies on my commute to work. And I think it's because I think I'm overcompensating because I used to be able to like enjoy the fresh air and the outdoors uh-huh. on my commute. Uh-huh. And now I'm stuck inside of a subway and I hate it. Um, and so I think it's my way of like finding a distraction um, on my commute. So I watched Dune, probably not its original and definitely not its original intention no, certainly not. Uh, on my tiny little 13 Pro screen, which not a terrible screen, like one of the better iPhone as screens out there, screens it, you know, go, yeah. fine. Um, but, you know, I had to you know, see through my fingerprints and scratches on my screen to be able to like see the full intention of the cinematographic scope of uh-huh. this movie <laughs> yeah there you go um i used one of those words i said one of those words wrong but it's okay um scope i think was the one yeah scope i got right uh cinematographic uh. i think is not real <laughs> I've, I've i've wrangled with that one too is it cinematographic i don't know I- am i on to a real word I, I haven't the faintest idea. Yeah, I have no idea. Anyways, um, so I was watching this on my commute. It took me probably, it's a longer-ish movie. It took me probably yeah. like three or three days to get through. But I have to tell you, <laughs> it read like a fucking TV series. I would yeah. end at the best parts and be like, okay, well, I can't wait to get back on the train tonight because I got to see what happens, right? So uh-huh. um, uh, that was that was a fun part of the experience, actually, for me, but probably not the way I would recommend watching Dune. You should sit down and watch it in one foul swoop. Um, but well, the I funny really... thing about the, the, the production of this movie and the rollout of this movie, uh, if I may just jump in with a quick little yeah. interlude, is that Denis Villeneuve... Uh, wow, I said that wrong. Denis Villeneuve... Um, <laughs> 
absolutely intended this to be seen on as big a screen as possible and 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 built it basically with IMAX in mind um uh to be the biggest loudest most overwhelming cinematic experience possible and had to fight Warner Brothers uh to release it in theaters alongside its HBO release and the HBO release was very contentious for them and uh and and he went on this huge press tour like denouncing the idea that it would be available on streaming and 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 it's really, really funny and perverse to have watched this particular <laughs> movie on the train uh, when, when all that when all that went down. But I also like think maybe okay. I, I, I can't speak for director Denis because uh, he's a great artist and I love him very much and I want him to be yeah. happy. I want him to have all the good things this life can offer. Um, but if your movie works as well as it clearly did for you in episodic chunks on the uh-huh. downtown subway on the way to work. Uh, then you've got a pretty good movie on your hands there, pal. I was Don't just going to say, Denis, you, it held up, but yeah. like you were going to be fine no matter what. People would have loved your movie. Um, <laughs> you know, I do think the reason why it won all of the Oscars that it won was because of the IMAX experience so sure. i get that uh the sound and like the little sounds that i probably didn't hear on my you know i wasn't watching i wasn't listening with a nice uh-huh. pair of headphones i was listening with a wired pair of headphones so many of those i probably <laughs> missed but you know i really appreciated it so Denise, i think you you have a you have a good one on your hands here so a couple of things that i really loved about this movie yeah um <laughs> uh timothy chalamet grew a little bit Let's but like not go. much okay i got it so this this was the the biggest am i correct in saying this is the biggest hurdle for you yes in for watching sure. the movie yeah because you have a distinct distaste for this young man <laughs> i do and and i and i just i'm gonna tell you timothy if you're listening i i respect you i think you're awesome but like there's something about you being cast as this like tiny little human in all mm-hmm. of these roles mm-hmm. that I just I can't connect with it all the time and you're in everything so it's really hard <laughs> to move past it in a lot of cases but uh-huh. um I really liked your performance you did a great job uh <laughs> and I I enjoyed watching you uh evolve I'm, I like that I'm talking to him directly uh-huh. uh and, yeah, Timmy, uh, Timmy, listen up, bud. Can I? Yeah, put exactly. That, put, no, put it down. It can wait. She's got something to say to you, buddy. All right. Um, I, I he grew for me in this movie. You know, as Laurie in Little Women, mm-hmm. I didn't quite see that casting choice. But um, uh, in this case, I think you did a really nice job of playing this character. And um, you know, it is a coming of age story in a lot of ways. You are a hero's journey story. He's got a do the last battle on his own, you know, and that definitely comes to life in this movie. And um, I liked it. You did a good job, Tim. Good job, Tim. And good job, it, Tim. It should be said that Timothy Chalamet overcoming your 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 toning down your visceral reaction uh, to <laughs> Timothy Chalamet that I've I've been I've, I've been privy to in the past. There's a there's a kind of a visceral distaste to him. Yeah. Uh, no, but to no. have overcome that, like excellent performance. But I quite like Timothy Chalamet. I think he's good. I think he's very effective in the right role. Like he, like anybody, needs to be cast appropriately. Totally. And I think that he as the uh, well, like the the disaffected shithead fuckboy. Um, <laughs> 
uh, like chain smoking kid in Ladybird. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Uh, him Solid. as the sad little princeling rich kid in Dune. Also perfect. I think yeah. like he's got a very particular lane uh, that he's really good in. But uh, yeah, I think he's wonderful in this. Well, what what other performances stuck out to you in the Ugh. movie Dune? I loved Duncan. Hey. Who didn't love Duncan? Who doesn't love Duncan? That character trope in movies in general is just a character I really like. Like the 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 friend who's been a mentor and a guider mm-hmm. and um, you know, someone who ultimately sacrifices themselves for the protection of the main character is always yeah. like that's always gonna be a winning character and to me uh that was the case here and uh what's his face aquaman did a great job (laughs) jason Um, momoa yeah jason momoa uh did an awesome job and i really yeah you know um i think it was also a role for him that i connected with more than maybe any other role that he's played i actually haven't seen aquaman so i can't speak to that aquaman's (laughs) pretty fun i think you might you might enjoy aquaman if like because we've we've had him in our lives since cal drogo i know he was important to you back in the day for that and i i i love jason momoa because he has the all-time best vibes of maybe any actor ever totally Um, just seems like like the best hang yeah, he just seems yeah. cool and fun. And I feel like his Duncan vibes were like his real life vibes a little bit. Uh, yeah. Well, you, you hire know. him for a reason. Yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah, I just see like a really cool, chill guy who's also built like a brick shit house and is obviously very <laughs> dangerous and violent. Yeah, that's, that, that's the dude. Uh, you know, I appreciated their, like, if we're talking about the overall plot line, you know, we have a very uh, episodic, like, Star Wars-y uh-huh. um, element to this storyline. And, you know, I think I texted you the moment I finished or as I was getting half, like, more than halfway through and like, so episode two of Dune is going to happen, it seems like, yeah. you know. Uh-huh. Um, and so I really didn't realize that. I didn't know there was going to be more than one. I was going into it with a... This is my one and done Dune experience. But the fact that there is more is really intriguing to me. Oh, yeah. The world is fascinating, right? So you're living in um, this world where spices are highly coveted. Uh, this is the These are the last resources in wherever it is that you are. Uh, are we presuming? The, the desert planet around Yes, yeah, the desert planet. Um, uh-huh. And so there's this, this fight for the people who are trying to make money off of these resources and the people who are living off of these resources. And that's Uh always uh, a great dynamic to play and um, provocative of our, you know, real, real states. Um, And I really enjoyed that. And uh, it was a beautiful world to live in as well. Like as ugly as it was maybe supposed to be, it was, it was beautiful in the way that they created it. And the worms. Oh, gosh. Ooh. I loved the worms. <laughs> that was great. Um, uh-huh. What a uh, great little, you know, that's a character we've seen in many other movies, but maybe Dune did it the best. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Couldn't like agree the sandworm is not a new thing, but definitely in a way that was like actually super scary and um, something that, you know, that the beating of the drum calls it to you and the way that that was was used for both good and evil in the yep. movie was very interesting to me. Um, and, and to your oh, point that we've, no, I was going to say to the point that we've seen a lot of this stuff before,
before, it should be said that, yeah, we absolutely have. Like, we've seen sandworms because Dune exists. We've seen Mm -hmm. Star Wars because Dune exists. And if you're going to be, if you're going to go back to the source text that inspired so much uh, film that we've seen, so much sci-fi canon that we've come to kind of, like, understand in our bones, um, there's a risk that it's going to be like, well, okay. Right. We've seen it. Like, like, exactly. why, why would we go back to the source if we've seen all these, all the, the byproduct of it? And to stand out from that, you really, really have to make it something special. And you have to stand out by dint of the sense of scope in your movie, by the actual craftsmanship that goes into every element of the thing. And that's, that's kind of why I wanted you to watch it. I wanted you to see yeah. something that's like having to work its ass off to let people know, like, no, we were here first. Um, and, and I appreciate that too, because I think. I think that is one of the reasons why I didn't immediately run out and see it because it's not something I need to see again, right? It, I right. have the things that I love in this genre and I don't need really a lot more. Um, but And I think, those genres are not the ones that you stick to to begin with. They're, they're, sure. They're not what uh, you naturally gravitate towards anyway. Um, but I think that to your point, it's really nice to see that there is some inventiveness here. And I think a lot of credit probably has to go to the, the writer of the book Dune here. Um, but I definitely think that it goes right back to Denis, um, in bringing, being able to bring it to life in this way, because we've seen challenges with bringing some canon items to life and he did it quite well. Um, I've never read the book, but I'm imagining that you have to you have to have a pretty big imagination to bring something like that from from word to screen. Yeah, and it's been tried many times before. I also have not read this book. I don't want to steal that valor right now. <laughs> um, I, I've not read Dune. I'm inclined to now because it seems really cool. And I, right. it, uh, my understanding is that the book leans further into the the trippiness of the story quite a lot more than this film does. And that's the one thing I like. Uh, this would be stone cold perfect for me if there was a little bit more of that. Because the one of the reasons this sticks with me, Jesse, is because this is a, a movie about doing drugs with your mom in the desert. Um, there, there is like that that weirdness, and there's the angle of uh, Paul can only achieve his perfect form when he fights the phallic metaphor of the desert sandworm and learns to tame it by speaking in his mother's voice. You know, there's like a really interesting gender d- dynamic at play in this movie, and apparently the book is very heavily inspired by Frank Herbert, the author. Shouts out to Frank, um, experimenting with LSD, which was very in vogue in the early and mid '60s, and there was this huge wave of enlightenment and uh, kind of mind expansion happening Mm. in the popular imagination um, that I wish this movie went more into. Yeah, Um, it's really interesting. But nevertheless, uh, I think if you're going to sacrifice that in favor of uh, like austere, enormous storytelling and mood, I get it. Um, But that's just, this could only have been made by Denis Villeneuve, um, a director I like a lot. And he's all over the place with this one. I definitely think it's really interesting that there is that um, the trippy element because only, um, not that the desert isn't beautiful in its own way, but I, sure. I think the only thing that could make that interesting, right, is that element of trippiness and you have to make it something other than what it is. Uh, yes. And that is really interesting, I think. 
Yeah, you have to add the dimension of the desert because the desert is a uh, largely empty plain. You have to add the dimension of I. Oh, I'm also communing with the cosmos while I'm here, um, <laughs> right. and maybe there's something to that. Maybe the reason Burning Man exists, where all the kids go right. out and do Good point. Do, do drugs <laughs> in the desert, uh, is because it's a natural landscape onto which we can project our own immortality and connection with the beyond and the ether. Um, but yeah, more drug stuff maybe might be upcoming in part two. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, love also, the movie. Uh, yeah, the the Fremen. We haven't really talked about them much, but oh, we they... haven't really talked about much of anything. Like we decided yeah, it's, pretty early on. No, no, that by all means. Like I'll talk about this as long as you would like to. I just don't want to uh, overburden you uh, with enough. having to relive this. You know, go right ahead. Go right ahead. But I was just gonna say the Fremen are a really cool uh, element to this story, and I, what I think is really interesting played a really big role in mm-hmm. this movie but we didn't really get to see a ton of them um and now it feels like the direction that we're going for a presumable part two is spending Mm -hmm. quite a lot of time with the fremen so i'm very excited to see that transition and the epic battle at the end was definitely uh, a favorite part for me um I thought that was beautiful storytelling, uh, a great moment of action that I had to watch in two parts. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but it was very, very good. And so overall, strong, positive reaction to Dune. We'll see the sequel. Oh, I yeah. am ready for number two and thanks for making me watch it Corey. no th- thank you for doing it buddy i know this is it was an investment time wise and uh brain wise and i really really appreciate you taking the time oh one more thought yeah that, go for it does when besides mama mia what movie is stellan Starsguard actually playing his full human form in oh jeez well, he he's a, a very very prolific actor he is um, he is but I mean, he's he's in the Thor movies. He's in Goodwill Hunting. He's in a bunch of shit. But he's in yeah, most but... of the major works of Lars von Trier. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that Stellan is always taking on these very uh-huh. bizarre looking characters. Like I've seen Stellan in a, a lot of other things where he is his full body. But I just think it's hilarious <laughs> that he <laughs> is always these these worms. Uh-huh. He's always a yeah. little worm, this guy. In inhuman, unknowable creatures. Um, <laughs> Selen Skarsgård, I, I love this man very much. And he's responsible for a lot of great work. He's also responsible for being um, either a pervert or nude in almost every movie he's in. Um, and also in producing the next generation of weird Scandinavian perverts in cinema. Yeah, good uh, job. Like all, all of his sons are these weird little freaks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like you, I don't know that you're interested at all in seeing The Northman uh, that stars his son Alexander. I know you're not terribly interested in seeing the It movies that stars his other son playing Pennywise. Um but yeah, he's created this next wave of weird white, like, pervs that is going to be a part of cinema forever. So thank you, Stellan. Good job, Stellan. You did great. <laughs> and please continue to take roles like Bootstrap Bill Turner and The Worm and Dune and just uh-huh. like, go for it. Go for it, bud. <laughs> Pretty um, So there you go. Lots of lots of fun thoughts on Dune. Uh, can't wait for the next one. I, I say, yeah, we'll we'll definitely be covering part two. I think that's coming out this this coming year. They've recently added Florence Pugh and Christopher Walken to the cast. Oh um, shit! Are exactly. you for real? 
That's yeah, amazing. Chris, Christopher Walken will apparently be playing the Emperor, who is unseen in uh, part one. And I'm very, nice. very excited. That's really exciting. I love both uh-huh. of those people. So love going to be great. Love it. All right. Now here we here we've come to the meat of the issue, my friend. <laughs> we uh, in in trying to think of what what was next for us. Yeah. Um. We we had a little hard time deciding what because uh, we know we're going to have our friend Sean McKendry on for a very uh very near episode to us. We promised for a long time. We're very excited about it. But then I went to see a movie in theaters, um, which is something I've get, been getting back into recently. It's been a nice little project for me, and I'm enjoying the hell out of it. <laughs> um, what, what did we watch this week, Jesse? Tell me about it. We saw everything, everywhere, all at once. That's right. That's right. So... Do you want to try taking a crack at this one, bud? No, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, you, you could do it very simply. This is a movie okay, about a okay. uh, this is a movie about a woman filing her taxes, uh, or it's a movie or, about uh, a mother's relationship with her daughter. That's right, or a mother learning that nihilism is pointless by nature, and that when nothing matters. Uh, you can find meaning in the, the the love of the people around you and that it takes work, but that love is worth pursuing and uh, holding up to the light. See, we did it together. That's it. All right. That's all <laughs> this movie's about. Jesse, wh- what was our experience like? We, we, uh, yeah. we have not... Yeah, go ahead. We saw we saw this movie in a really cool experience, one that I haven't had yet, but I think you had. But we went Once to before, yeah. uh, a movie theater called the Alamo Draft House. We Correct. veered away from our AMC Stubbs membership ever so gently <laughs> uh-huh. by enjoying a, cinema, a cinematic experience where we also got to eat and drink. Which was really fun. So um, a little plug, Alamo Drafthouse now has a theater in Manhattan. It's all the way downtown. But uh, you can take the 2-3 right inside the building. um, And you can go right into your movie theater viewing experience. And what they've done a really nice job at creating what is essentially the basement of this large office building into this really cool uh, cinematic uh, experience. Yeah, and a little museum for film down there in the basement in Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah, like old movie posters. They've got a bunch of old DVD covers you can go through and look at. And so it has this really cool environment. It also has a bar so you could grab a little mm-hmm. drink before or after your movie. Um, we saw this one quite late, so the after movie drink was not an option for us. Um, but it was really nice. We ordered a beer and uh, we had I had some buffalo cauliflower uh-huh. and some fried pickles. <laughs> and that was great uh-huh. um, what did you have you had a oh, chicken I'd, sandwich I'd, nice little fried chicken sandwich and some yeah. picture fries it was delicious so good um, what are your thoughts on so I, I actually have some thoughts on this but what are your thoughts on like eating while you're watching a movie well, I, well, I, I'm usually watching something when I'm eating at sure. home. Um, Me too. But I, I could take it or leave it. Honestly, I think uh, it, it's a nice. I think the experience of going out to dinner and a show is a very lovely thing indeed. And I love sharing that with you and Jason. Jason, your lovely husband was also with us for the trip. Um, 
I I could take or leave the waiters having to crouch down in between the rows and continue food service throughout the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, which requires the person next to you to shine a light at them and put their placard up and try to figure out the ordering system. Then you have to coach the person next to you through the ordering <laughs> system because they're getting pissed off at the waiter and you don't want them to take it out by giving them a small tip. Um, so there, it doesn't exactly encourage full focus on the movie and I hope that didn't distract you too much during it. But I no. also got to have a nice beer and a chicken sandwich at a movie, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it was fun. And I and I think if it had been Downton Abbey, I, it would have been the perfect experience. But I think that, for a movie like this, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is so dependent on you seeing all of the details, it was hard for me to eat because I didn't want, like, I had to kind of look down and dip uh-huh. my cauliflower in ranch and make sure I didn't get the ranch all over myself. And so, like, there right. was some focus required. Uh-huh. And I didn't want to miss what was on the screen. So right. I think that Alamo Draft House or any sort of eating while watching a movie is 100% a go. Just pick the right movie. Um, because I think this one I just didn't want to miss a lot of. Uh, and so I didn't feel like I enjoyed the combo as much because of what we were seeing and how much I didn't want to miss it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it absolutely does. Yes. And I think you're right to say that there are certain movies that invite that kind of behavior a little bit more. Yes. Uh, but also, I, I, I imagine... Uh, you could tell me that Alamo Draft House is the only profitable theater in New York, and I might mm-hmm. actually believe you because food service is how theaters make their money. Um, and in in an age where they've had to be shut down for a year and a half, and they've had to depend on federal subsidies or being a part of multinational uh, uh, like conglomerations uh, to to even survive and continue showing movies in real life, um, like whatever y'all got to do to keep movie theaters open, you go ahead and go for it. Um, my my unwillingness to eat at family style restaurants notwithstanding uh, this was still a pretty cool experience overall totally. uh, but I uh, I was seeing the movie for the second time I had already seen this so did you feel that you got a grasp of the movie when all was said and done do you feel oh, like yeah, for okay sure. great a hundred percent I didn't I didn't miss big things but I think I did feel that Eating my food while trying to consume this movie was difficult. The balance uh-huh. was hard. And I didn't want to have to balance anything. No. So therefore, it, it it didn't take away at all. But I think go to Alamo Draft House. It's so fun. The experience is amazing. But go see like a, a movie that if you look down, you're not going to miss something really cool on the screen. Yeah, go go see like a uh, Godzilla versus Kong or something beautiful. like that. Yes, right. exactly, exactly. But one thing that's so beautiful about everything, everywhere, all at once, is that you literally want to see everything, everywhere, all at once when it's you happening do. on the screen because of the storytelling elements of this movie. Uh, and so you don't, you just don't want to miss it. Um, but let's let's dive in. I, I'd okay, love to hear your. I'd love to hear your approach to this movie, how you came to it, and how you walked out of the movie theater after that first viewing of this movie. Yeah, sure. So the the first time I saw it, Chris, my brother and I, a uh, friend of the show, uh, went to see it <laughs> together. Um, and 
I had I'd heard about it because I, I just keep my ear to the ground on all things movies and TV coming out. So I had heard that Daniels, uh, Daniel Scheinert and Daniel Kwan, who, mm-hmm. directors of uh, Swiss Army Man, the turn down for what video? Uh, not the most prolific directing group uh, in Hollywood. Uh, but when you second... look at their history together, yeah, exactly. you're like, ah, yes, all of this mm-hmm. adds up to this movie. It makes sense. It, yeah. it really does. Yes. They have, they have their own house style that is unlike mm-hmm. anything else out there. Uh, but they, they had released Swiss Army man close to a decade ago and it had been a long time since their last one came out and they were working on a new thing uh and then the consensus word on this movie was this is one of the best movies of this century um was the early reporting on that like this is an extremely special experience this is the best movie i've ever seen um and then when you started to dig a little bit deeper it was like well this is the now the number one rated movie on all of letterboxd which indexes every movie ever made and of course that's recency bias but what are people actually falling in love with this thing like what's the underlying nut of why people are falling in love with this so it became just this kind of irresistible force if you have the brain that pays attention to this kind of thing um that that it was a project that kind of had to be reckoned with and then chris and i went to see it um trying to actively tamp down all the noise around the movie yeah, you know yeah. and just like regard it on its own merits and kind of judge it on the experience that we actually had like the tangible properties of it but we left there just completely in awe mm-hmm. uh, and and i said to chris shortly after like i feel like i was just taught a new language um, I feel like I was taught a new way for film to be edited, for story to be put mm. together, for actual thought or concept to be conveyed to me. Um, and I, I saw a thing that could can only have been produced under very particular circumstances, starring the people it did and made by the people that it did. I think it's a really special thing. Yeah, it is the right combination of things, which I think is really interesting because based on what you're telling us is that it 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 came together in a way that may not have had this combination of things uh, to begin with. And all of those factors had to be in place in order for it to be produced in the way that it was. Which is appropriate for many themes in the movie, which is to say <laughs> that like the everything that happens to you is an accident and a product of decisions you've made along the way. And sometimes uh, the life we have is simply the byproduct of all those choices and accidents coming together. Uh, and that try as you might um, access other worlds, though you may, this is the world that you have. And this is the product that, that comes out of it. So Let's let's break it down for people at home. Uh, the real story of Everything Everywhere All at Once is the story of Evelyn Wang, a middle-aged Chinese-American laundry owner um, who's struggling with a failing marriage, a relationship with a daughter that is uh, distant and remote and cold. She feels like she's losing her. And she's also simultaneously being audited by the IRS for having expensed too many of her personal projects um, as business expenses under the guise of her laundromat. Uh, so in the midst of her auditing, she is confronted by an alternate universe version of her husband, Waymond, known uh, henceforth as Alpha Waymond, and informed that uh, the multiverse is in danger of being destroyed by an omnipresent multiversal presence called Jobu Tapaki um, <laughs> that risks destroying all of existence. Um, and she must access alternate versions of her own self from across the multiverse to do battle with this great evil. Is that Which, it? Which, 
Little yeah. did she know she had been doing battle in all of these multi-universes for a very long time. Correct. Uh, she just didn't know because she wasn't in those universes. No, she happens um, to be the most boring version of Evelyn Wang across the entire <laughs> multiverse. Yeah. Right. Which what is what makes this movie so great because <laughs> you're like, where is this going to go? Is this, this is going to be a story about, you know, a really hard life, uh, an immigrant family trying to make their way in the world, you know, but it's not that at all. I mean, it no. is certainly part of it, but it is definitely so much deeper than that. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about um, Michelle Yeoh because yes, she really made this movie for me um, and I think was a huge draw uh, for, for many people to come see this movie. And yeah. uh, you got to tell us the backstory about how she got into this role because you told me and I thought it was great. So Well, sure. So, yeah, there are a couple of very interesting castings uh, in this movie. The, the most, uh, like, once you've seen the movie and and you have some kind of context for Michelle Yeoh as an actress and as a career, it's the most no-duh thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, this movie's impossible without Michelle Yeoh. Um, it wasn't for a time. It was meant originally, or conceived originally, to be a project for Jackie Chan to be slotted in, um, presumably as the Wayman role in this. Um but after a time in kind of devising this, the Daniels knew they were going to base the main character on one of their parents. Uh, and I think it eventually fell down to a combination of their two mothers. Uh, and they found that as a more interesting way into the story. So Michelle Yeoh has been regarded for decades now as one of the greatest martial artists in cinema history um, and one of the maybe least used talents on earth. Um, No one can really do what Michelle Yeoh does. Uh, And yet, she has seen um, a a career that's successful, but never quite as fruitful as it could Mm -hmm. possibly have been. Uh, uh, As though, imagine that Jackie Chan was never utilized to his fullest extent. Like, what a a wealth that would would have been stolen from us. And that's what kind of we've experienced with the Michelle Yeoh of it all. She's had small parts in Marvel movies here and there. She had the massive, huge international success of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon that never really Mm -hmm. materialized into anything that was worth her time. Um, And she is, by and large, a dancer. She became a martial artist by accident, just because those are the roles available to her in her native Hong Kong, um, and has been just doing the work for decades and decades being one of the most beautiful one of the most talented actors on earth and never quite getting her due so to write a movie around such a talent is kind of a no-brainer but it took the Daniels and their little 25 million dollar movie small by comparison uh, to kind of make that happen the other strange cast and incidents is a Kiwi Kwan, um, who folks at home will know as Data from the Goonies, Short Round from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, someone who completely disappeared from the cultural landscape for several decades at a time uh, after a really successful, like phenomenally successful career as a child actor and some of the biggest projects ever made. Um, he became a stuntman because of a lack of available roles for Asian American men. Um, it, cinema was not kind to uh, the Asian experience in the 80s, 90s, and until basically today. Mm -hmm. Um, But upon seeing the movie Crazy Rich Asians, which starred Michelle Yeoh, um, he was inspired to get back in front of the camera. Having been working for several decades as an action choreographer and stuntman, um, he thought, well, maybe there's a chance for me again. Um, A week later, uh, after having told his agent that he was interested in getting back in the market and going out for roles, um, he was given the chance to audition for this particular movie. And uh, just so what good. a what 
what a stunning thing to have back in our lives. I've loved this man for many, many years. I think he's wonderful, and I quote him all the time uh, <laughs> from his earlier roles. But Kiwi Kwan was uh, another like supernova talent in this movie and a lot of the film's drama and pathos rests on his shoulders um as the eternally optimistic waymond um uh, the the optimistic foil uh, to evelyn's kind of nihilistic selfish uh, uh, uh role in the family what'd you think yeah totally uh this both of those two castings do amazing things in this movie. And I, I love Michelle Yeoh. Uh, I think she has done some incredible, incredible things uh, throughout her career. And I love that she has the lead in this role uh, or in this movie. Um, and she, she's played a lot of, a lot of things that we've seen, you know, sure. she's played a lot of supporting characters, but this is very much her movie. Um, and it would not have been the same without her. I don't think so. No. Um, the storytelling, I think, particularly around the mother-daughter relationship is so relatable because um, there are so many elements of that relationship that you many daughters experience with their mothers. And sure. she experience, or she plays it in such a beautiful way. And also the way in which they come to understand each other at the end of the movie is quite beautiful as well so um speaking of which shout out to that casting choice uh stephanie um shu who is i know her from marvelous mrs Maisel, uh, and i think she's lovely in that uh gets a a beautiful leading role in this movie as well and she plays she plays jabu tapaki uh Uh um in this movie and also the daughter and gets to wear these amazing outfits and uh sort of show this beautiful story as well but she's awesome i really am a big fan of hers as well and and kind of the key to the entire thing a little bit because we when you have michelle yo you can kind of she she takes care of herself uh michelle yo is uh an absolute superstar kiwi kwan surprised that we may be solid just excellent (laughs) wayman perfect casting wonderful and then the the daughter role um like I, I wasn't familiar with Stephanie Shu at all. She's remarkable in this. Like She's very, very, good, very yeah. good, very human in this movie. Um and like that's what that's what gets me the most about the movie is that you're telling the story of everything everywhere all at once. You're telling the story of literally all of existence being in peril. Um, which is the subject of most every action movie. Like <laughs> they, that the end of the world is always what's at stake. Um, but this hinges around a very small concept that's very familiar to a lot of people, myself included, which is there is a distance between a parent and a child that's irreconcilable. So what if Uh, We took that irreconcilable relationship um, where it's on this trajectory of just running parallel and never together, and it will never be fixed. But what if we exposed both of those people, the child and the parent, to all of existence, literally all of creation, across every conceivable universe, every conceivable experience and incident, um, every every lifestyle, every everything. What if they were suddenly aware of every consciousness they have across all of existence um, and then were put back into the same relationship? What effect would that have? And it's such a small thing and a small way in to tell the the biggest story ever told. It's really, really beautiful, man. What did you think? What did you think of their dissection of their relationship as mother and daughter? Well, I think what's really amazing about what you just said, right, is that if you're able to see all of these different multi universes of all the different decisions you could have made that would have led to these different outcomes, you know, in some life, 
in some lives you get some things right and others you get a lot of things wrong and i think what the value of seeing all of those different outcomes is it makes you appreciate what you have in the current one more um potentially which is not a new concept to film that's the there's no place like home ending sure uh, basically right but i think the value here in this case is understanding and appreciating even if you are not like that person or you can't find commonality with that person you still love them unconditionally because they are a part of you um and i think in this case it cements that for um for Michelle Yeoh's character, right? And um, it, it, she she is totally different than everything that you ever thought she might be. But appreciating her for those things and celebrating those things about her uh, is so important to your relationship with her, regardless yeah. of whether that is what you thought would happen or not. Uh, and so it's just a, a great story. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a very lucky gal. I have a very close relationship with my mom, but uh, there are definitely distances that you, you know, are hard to bridge. And that's because of the time and space that we grew up in and that we live yeah, in now and the people that we are, you know, and those are different things, but the tremendous respect and value and love that we have for one another is inherently there. And I think that might be harder for some than others um, for whatever reason. Um, And so I think coming to that love and understanding and respect through this journey is pretty awesome Um, because it's also so viscerally interesting to watch her experience (laughs) all of these universes. But um, but it's also just like really beautiful at the end. We're just going to jump to it. But at the end, when they're pulling her out of the black hole donut mm-hmm. and it's her her father her, her grandfather, grandfather. Yeah. um all showing the support uh and wanting to bring her back into this into this world because it is important and she is important and she is valued is just quite gorgeous <laughs> really really beautiful absolutely yeah we and we should talk about like the 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 means by which they tell this story right yes. because yeah the, the 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 plot is what the plot is yes but exactly. the actual storytelling style is the thing that's maybe most magnificent about this movie which is in effect um michelle yo is given a pair of magical bluetooth headsets uh, which allow her uh to consciousness jump between universes um and access skills and techniques and uh, well Basically, she's plugged into the reverse matrix where she can, rather than put herself into it, she can pull from it and access all of these fighting techniques and skills and experiences from other worlds. But in Um, order to get there, you must do something. Uh, like so, I need to I need to fight you know Jamie Lee Curtis right now as a uh-huh. scary IRS monster. Um, so I need to access a world where I was a kung fu or whatever like a martial artist. Um, yes. And uh, so she has to do something then that's really silly like eat uh eat the entirety of a chapstick uh-huh. uh, and or give yourself paper cuts in between every single finger <laughs> on your hand which was one of our favorite moments uh walking out of the theater talking <laughs> about um and those transitions are 
part of what makes the movie really funny and uh, enjoyable and re- relatable as well. Doing this is weird. This things. is what I'm talking about. When I talk about having been taught a new language, leaving that right. movie, um, <laughs> that you become so used to, okay, if this person starts rubbing Purell in their eyes, if this person <laughs> is trying as hard as they can, fighting tooth and nail to shove a trophy up their ass. Um, <laughs> if this, Whatever the case may be, if this person starts behaving inexplicably, they are accessing some kind of martial art from another universe. Yes. Or they're accessing the universe where they trained for years to strengthen their pinky fingers so they can break <laughs> the legs off, a, off, off an office chair that's bracing them against the wall. Um, the, so the, that's what I'm talking about. Like you see someone start to do something completely unexplainable, well, there that's a that's a flavor of kung fu they suddenly have that they wouldn't have had before, which is pretty great. It is pretty great. And that's such a unique concept. I don't think we've quite seen that before in multi universe no, jumping. That's new. So yeah. good job. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and I I love the Matrix. I love the Matrix right. very dearly, and it's very important to me. However, uh never once did they fight a dog uh, on a leash. <laughs> At no point in three movies, three movies, Jesse, did they ever body slam onto a butt plug. (laughs) Or eat uh, an entire ream of chapstick. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely not. (laughs) Which is the first one. That's the first one you see and you're like, what is happening? (laughs) Why is he doing that? (laughs) Uh Uh, And and then it all comes together. Exactly. And the, the maybe the hardest one is having to actually profess love for an IRS auditor sincerely <laughs> and with full emotion. But I tell you what, that like uh, I, it's a constant thing I harp on. There, there are movies and moments in movies that make me feel like completely weightless. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm composed of pure white light and I've achieved weightlessness. Um, like the entirety of Licorice Pizza did that for me. So that, that's a feeling I'm always kind of like on the lookout Searching for. Searching for searching for right and the moment where michelle yo is on her knees while jamie lee curtis morpheus jumps down the stairwell with her knee forward ready to take her out and michelle yo professes her love for her and then in the blink of an eye blocks her with her newfound kung fu i'm like this is the best thing i've ever seen in my life this is the best (laughs) and and there's a million moments like that in this movie where they they're there's this joyful wanton enthusiasm and this silliness and absurdity telling a simple story. I love it very much. Yeah. And I think it leads to some of these incredibly funny moments and also some incredibly poignant moments. Um, but the the I love you moment with Jamie Lee Curtis is pretty special. <laughs> um, and uh, let's give a shout out to Jamie Lee Curtis here. Like, girl. Great. Great. transformation an uh-huh. amazing performance in very much a supporting role but you yeah. get to kind of play all these like quirky little uh moments and really great character all around for, for and she had one of the one of the best love stories in the movie which was hot yes. dog finger hot dog in fingers. the alternate universe yeah Play, playing claire de lune on the piano with their toes is really beautiful <laughs> Um, the other moment, uh, and we were talking on the subway platform as we were headed home, like, what was your favorite scene? And I think you and I both thought the same thing, which I thought was cool, uh, which was the rocks scene, um, which is just a very simple, these two rocks, um, mother and daughter on the top of a cliff, like just next to one another and the daughter Mm -hmm. moving further and further away from mama rock uh, and essentially throwing herself over the cliff and mama rock 
jumping right over after her. Um, Incredible. Just a beautiful scene. Uh, also illustrating, like, you know, that relationship foundation that we were talking about. But yeah. um, it was just gorgeous. I could watch the googly-eyed rocks. <laughs> It like, it like we're describing it to you, and if you haven't seen the movie, it sounds incredibly benign, but yeah. it is just like the most beautiful. No, there's such a power scene. to the shot of the of Mama Rock turning around to reveal that she's wearing googly eyes. It's just like <laughs> I lose it. I, I break down watching that. It's so beautiful. So yes, that was my that was one of two extremely crucial scenes of this movie where they kind of express the entire thesis statement of the movie. So you have Joy Rock, Jobu Tupaki Rock, explaining mm-hmm. that like I've chosen this universe because it's at the edge of existence where nothing is here. This is a universe where life could not form. I am a sentient rock. And there's a simplicity to this where I don't have to hear about a new technology that makes me feel like a tiny piece of shit. Yeah. I don't have to feel alone. In the, I, I can feel alone in the universe, but there's an honesty to it. Right. Um, and it, and if nothing matters, then I'm justified in my depression, my angst, my nihilism. Um, and Mama Rock can chase her off the cliff to tell her that doesn't matter. I'm still going to pull you back because I love you. The other scene um, in the universe where uh, Evelyn chose not to pursue love with Waymond and head to the States where she becomes a world fit. Mm-hmm. She basically becomes Michelle Yeoh yes. uh, in this universe. Um, but they they reconnect after a premiere of her most recent movie, a now um, very well-to-do, successful Waymond, um, having lost her love, but having um, uh, dove into his own career and sought success instead. They have this lovely beautiful little homage conversation in an alleyway outside the theater. Um, so this was a scene, Jesse, this, I can't express how special this was to me because them slowing down to have these two beautiful people who I've uh, loved for decades and had this like kind of relationship with in film um, to do a slow down homage to the, the works of Wong Kar Wai, one of my very yeah. favorite filmmakers to have a little in the mood for love slash Chungking Express little uh, uh-huh. homage scene. Yeah, you're um, right. Where Waymond essentially tells her, like, look, I've if you're telling me that we could be everywhere, that we could access all these universes, um, I've I've now kind of experienced both because you've you've told me about mm. them. But a, a part of me wants to just be happy folding laundry and paying taxes with you. Um, <laughs> and that's it, man. It's so beautiful. So those those two scenes really that's what I left thinking about the most from having watched it the first time. And they played as well the second as the first. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, the other thing this movie does really well is it asks you to reevaluate your perspective, you know, and especially in the in the marriage, in the universe where the marriage is paying taxes and running a laundromat. Um, there's a lot of apathy that that is, you know, in those scenes, sure. um, you know, lots of uh, this isn't the life we wanted to live. Um, and, and maybe so. Maybe these weren't the dreams that you had. Um, but in this other world where we had many years apart and um, maybe we were outrageously successful, we didn't get to have this love for one another. And um, just going back to appreciating those things that we do have. As shitty as they might be, you know, um, and it's super hard to do. And it and it just asks you to reevaluate the perspective of the moment that you're in. And I think it's a really important thing 
important message for all of us right now. And I think we all could wish that we were different things and we were, you know, in a different place in our careers or we're in an entirely different career or in love with a different person or whatever it might be. I think it's so easy for us to think about the what ifs of other journeys when thinking about the beautiful outcomes that that we have in in our current universe. Um, So it's beautiful. That's very well said. (laughs) <laughs> really is. And I tell you, like, it's so resonant. Uh, the, the thesis statement of the movie, which, like, if we try to summarize, it could be that, yes, the world is like a malevolent place and it's maybe on a downward trajectory. And yes, all of all of this, all of existence will perish in the heat death of the universe as the sun expands to swallow everything. So one could think that everything we do every day we live is pointless. But tough shit you're alive Mm -hmm. uh you you have uh love in your life you have people around you all the time that are experiencing the exact same thing and there's a small beauty in accepting that yes this world is an evil place uh it's bad in a lot of ways we have 10 weeks left of wheat for the entire world as of today in 2022 the world the world is rough tough shit you're alive um, and you can choose to be here or not. And the better choice in most cases is to accept the love that's in your life. And it's resonant enough to the point that uh, it's been a while since I first saw it. And I found I sought people out at work who had also seen it to just get their take on it because it's the kind of movie that that forces you to want to talk about it. And a couple of the girls we work with, uh, Edith and Bianca, um, had seen it pretty early on. And uh, it's gotten to the point where Edith can just ask me uh, if I'm uh, if I feel distant or if I'm seeming kind of far off. Are you looking at the bagel right now? Um, (laughs) And I'll know exactly what she means and she can kind of pull me back. You know what I mean? So there's something for all the silliness in this movie, for all the dumb dick jokes and all the raccoonies and all the, the silly mech suit wheelchairs for grandpa, <laughs> um, the, this is extremely humane and very relatable stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote w- Wikipedia here, so I'm mm-hmm. gonna give Wikipedia all the credit. But the um, synopsis for part three, which is all at once, uh, is shortly thereafter the family's relationship and lives have improved. Becky, Joy's wife, is now part of the family. Waymond and Evelyn share a brief but romantic moment for the first time in a long while, and they return to the IRS building on a second chance to file their taxes. As Deirdre talks, Evelyn's attention is momentarily drawn to her alternate selves and the multiverse before staying grounded by her family. And I think that that is like a really beautiful idea that we do live a lot of alternate universes in our heads, like imagining the world in a better place, uh, imagining our families being different or better or worse or um, the positive or negatives of all the alternate universes that we might live, but having these people and these places uh, and that ground us and that say, hey, you are living a universe right now that nobody else is living. And that's important and valuable, as mundane as it might seem to you. Um, because that there there is like a love and a and a there's a family there. There's a there's people in our lives that make us feel valued. Um, and quite frankly, there are probably universes where people do not feel valued yeah. and they can they aren't grounded in the same way and have to find different 
paths through their current universe to to stay alive and to stay motivated to live in their presence. Um, and so it just makes you think about a whole heck of a lot. But in this case, in this particular universe, in this particular story, it's just a beautiful, um, uh, poignant story about family and love and relationships. And I think that that's pretty great. That was so beautiful, bud. That was exactly <laughs> it. That was exactly it. <laughs> and I've the. It's strange to because what what we're saying effectively boils down to stop and smell the roses. Like yeah, exactly. For, you don't yeah. know what you got till it's gone, kind of things. Um, and I found that I, this may be true for you as well. But the the older I get, the more I like realize that I have a deeper understanding for the things that are like that became song lyrics that became these cliches these mm-hmm. tropes um and you you get access to like a fresh truth and understanding with those very simple things it's like there's no place like home like you're right. the product right. of this it's very important that that anybody stay grounded within themselves and their own world because that's what made you and there's a real truth and beauty to that that understanding the people that made you who you are accepting them for that and loving them for that means loving a part of yourself too it's pretty beautiful yeah. It is pretty beautiful. Uh, and I think that there are, like, I'm just thinking of, like, all the different levels of love, right? Sometimes love meaning, means, like, um, uh, talking about stuff. Sometimes love means, like, don't talk about stuff. Sometimes it means um, just going out and doing something together, like walking mm-hmm. around the, your neighborhood or, you know, enjoying the terrible 90-degree weather that we <laughs> sweating our butts off doing laundry Uh but like you know you you got to live that yesterday and that was important and i think that there's like just these oh man i don't even know where i'm going with it besides saying it's just (laughs) so much to think about and also really enjoyable to think about and the way this movie does it is pretty beautiful and like the donut is something different for all of us right Right. (laughs) but i think we all have a, a donut that we could we can lose ourselves in sometimes a hundred percent a hundred percent the world keeps keeps putting them in front of us and it's our choice every single time like do i do i gaze into it do i go through there or do i take the hand of the people that love me and and pull back from the edge right right exactly um it's so good go see it it's so good this movie's good as fuck y'all um any other (laughs) spare thoughts i mean we we have a a titan of cinema james hong playing gong gong grandpa Mm -hmm. who was just just recently inducted at the age of 93 i believe into the uh the walk of fame uh just had his star ceremony very recently i love that man very much Uh, what else what else can be said about this movie just a very very special experience Yeah, and I would say it is an experience for sure. Um, You know, Jenny Slate was in it. (laughs) Yeah, and she's good. She's Jenny Slate. She's good. Uh, She plays herself, yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, she's very good. Um, uh, She has a funny little quirky part. And lots of little characters like that show up. Like one of my favorite sort of alternate universes was, um, I think at one time, Waymond refers to how much he loves Ratatouille. And in Mm -hmm. one universe, (laughs) uh, there is a chef who is Ratatouille, but with, uh, or has a Ratatouille situation, but with a Uh raccoon. And that's hilarious. Uh, So it just plays with the things that you might like in a very funny and eccentric way. 
Oh, I'm going to talk about Jogu Tupaki for a moment because those outfits were Mm. just uh, excellent. Uh, In every every multiverse, she is sort of coming, um, alternate universe, she's coming in in like this very uniquely dressed, like at one point she looks like a green amoeba. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's so fashion forward and amazing and I loved uh-huh. it. Um, <laughs> so Joby Tupaki is a fun, fun character. Joby Tupaki fashion icon. Absolutely. Fashion icon. <laughs> <laughs> so I will be Joby Tupaki for Halloween this year. Yeah. Have you decided which one yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Probably uh, will not happen, but <laughs> Yeah, one one could watch this movie solely to to Okay, so there multiverse okay film goes in cycles uh, sci-fi certainly goes in cycles sure. so there will be cycles of fascination with artificial intelligence and the robot threat there will be uh, cycles of obsession with virology and uh, and zombification and the threat of human beings to one another and now we're really in our, our multiverse era um we have we have rick and morty we have dr strange we have everything everywhere all at once there there's something to be said about this particular movie um that truly makes the most of its concept i think um and has an understanding of what they're trying to express with uh joby tupaki in particular so the the concept of a, a multiversal being that has full access at all times and entire control over access to the entire multiverse and all that represents um the the movie pulls that off man it, it it's able to express like what if a single character had access to any physical object or ability they wanted at their beck and call at all and times at all times and it's they really do it man and it's really <laughs> exceptional filmmaking um by by basically throwing together a bunch of plywood styrofoam and printer paper in the air um like with <laughs> with glue and glitter they managed to express all of existence in Joba Tupaki it's really really wonderful yeah the other thing that I think is really interesting is all of the stuff that's really magical is also so simple um yeah. uh, uh Call call out to like the beginning of the movie where we learn that Al- was it was Alpha Waymond or Al- Alpha Waymond, Al- yeah. Alpha Waymond uh, is coming into the picture, and he has this incredible kung fu fight with a fanny pack and like correct that's fucking awesome <laughs> uh-huh. and when he needs to level up and go super saiyan he just puts puts a bunch of uh, aquarium rocks in the fanny pack to, <laughs> to get more superpowers it's great so good um <laughs> just incredible um so i really appreciated all of those really simple things that made the movie very funny and quirky uh and great <laughs> yeah it feels like people you know making a movie it's yeah like, and you know the other thing I was just going to say is that the I think you can go into a multi-universe movie thinking, oh, God, I'm, I'm going to be really confused this whole time. I'm not going to understand it. But this movie really does, like you said about Joe Tupaki, like explains it really well. You understand right. the repercussions and also the value of every you know little element and detail. So uh, it does it does come together for you. 
Yeah, don't be afraid to pursue this movie. Uh, You're not going to get lost in there. And even if you do get lost, just trust that you could still look at the pretty objects and the cool fight scenes and stuff like that. And still still cry about a mother loving her daughter, uh, despite great odds. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So any other spare, uh, yeah, any other spare thoughts about everything everywhere all at once? Or did we do it, buddy? Did we did we nail this? Did it? I think we loved it. I think we would say (laughs) run, don't walk. That's Um, right. (laughs) I would recommend seeing this movie on a big screen and not on 100%. your tiny little iPhone screen. But if you have to see it on the iPhone screen, it'll probably be okay. You'll probably Moreover, just despite, despite the point that we made that Dune could be enjoyed on any size screen you prefer because it's <laughs> yeah. a wonderful movie, um, I might also recommend that Dune see, be seen on as big a format as possible <laughs> and as loud a format as possible. Fair but enough, what, we're, what we're saying basically, support movie theaters, support cinema, see this in real life. Uh, theaters are back, baby. Go out there with your friends and your loved ones and see two wonderful, wonderful films. Bye. 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 <laughs>